It's sundown in Cybertown, which means it's time for another episode of Destroy All Clickbait with all the smoothest sounds of internet drivel and corporate flop sweat. If you're a millennial, take a break from killing everything and join us on a dark ride through the haunted wastelands of the web. With me, as always, are staunch companions, Ing and Avi. Hello. Hi. So, we've got, as, as we were just saying, <laughs> a couple of... Uh, large developments in internet culture uh, this week. Um, we, I, it's actually, I think, uh, might make sense to to do our. I still can't believe this article. Uh, to do our wow, <laughs> to do our Waluigi update right away. Ing has found a real gem for us. Ing, uh, yes, you want the Waluigi update? The segment that people are asking, why are you doing this? <laughs> Because we can. <laughs> the segment that we said would be a segment as a joke and then found out there apparently is indeed enough material bi-weekly to make it a thing. Uh, and even if there wasn't, there's still old material that was made years ago that we could still comment on, so... Yay. Well, the 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 philo- this, you've, you've seen the tweet about the philosophical ramifications of Waluigi, right? Yeah, someone was yeah thinking, of course. Because he's... I can't, I can't remember the terminology used, but he's, uh, you know, Luigi is the reflection of Mario. Hold on, let me, uh, find it. It basically, I've, it's like he's the reflection of a reflection, right. and therefore he's nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Luigi is the reflection. Uh, um, Mario, Mario, Mario is, is the, the Here it is. Mario is the inversion. I can actually put it right here. Uh, here, okay. let me just post it, okay. because... Actually, it might even be worth saving the le- uh, other one for later and making this one, which is the... The main one. <clears throat> well... Uh, you- the main one be- uh, for the title of this article is Critical Perspectives on Waluigi. <laughs> on Waluigi. <laughs> no, I think we should save Critical Perspectives on Waluigi for next week, because this the one you linked to uh, has relevance to, like, of the moment, and now. it's not going to be—it's not going to be as relevant in a couple of weeks. <laughs> so we should talk about—we uh, should talk about the one, uh, the Very main well, one. Well, I will to. pocket this scholarly link on Waluigi for later. Yep. 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 It's good though. Yeah. We'll uh, we'll we'll do that next. It's week. a classic. But, um, That'll be our Waluigi update from the archives. <laughs> Indeed. Well, there's you know deep. Critical examination never goes uh, never goes sour. sour. So, uh, should I go into this one? Yes. Yeah. So, all right. Yes. The, uh, today's the one comes from uh, CNET.com, an uh-huh. essay titled "Big Dick Energy: Thy Name Is Waluigi" <laughs> by Daniel Von Boom. <laughs> so it's completely made up then. Daniel Von uh, Boom. Probably, probably. What I like about this article, other than the fact that it is tying the phrase big dick energy to Waluigi, which will never not be funny, is that it does nope. actually explain to me sort of the question I had about where the phrase big dick energy, or abbreviated <laughs> in the article BDE, came BDE, from. Yeah. And it yes. also, ha- I never actually thought that the explanation, well, where does the term big dick energy come from, can be answered with the sentence, it started following the tragic death of Anthony Burdain. <laughs> well, at least he's, you know, somebody who keeps giving. Yeah. Thank goodness. 
and the tweet is we're we're talking about how Anthony Bourdain had big dick energy, which is what he would have wanted, and I can't say that's not the case. Let's be fair. So yeah, well, I think the I think what people, the internet the, for the past day or two has been obsessed with big dick energy. What is it? <laughs> Who has it? Who doesn't have it? Yeah. Big dick energy isn't gender specific. It's not a literal description, but a vibe. Right. Yep. Think well, of Rihanna. She is universally hailed as having big dick energy. <laughs> Why? Star Wars icon Carrie Fisher's big dick energy was off the charts. <sighs> yes. Well, the, oh god. The the argument, as I understand it, in the original. <laughs> Those, the original woman who tweeted it uh, was that it was for, based on Anthony Bourdain. It was because she said they he seemed like he had a big dick, regardless of <laughs> regardless of whether he actually did or not. He just seemed like he did. He so he had big dick energy. That's the meaning of the term, just to be very specific. Apparently, the so it's origin the of you, it. It's, of course, since then it, like the majestic monarch butterfly, has emerged from its chrysalis l- <laughs> wings, glistening in the morning dew and taking flight. Oh God! <laughs> uh, it sure has, and it, it's BBC it's on has almost... released an article titled "What Is Big Energy and Who Really Has It?" Uh-huh. From BBC <sighs> News, which will never not be funny to me. Oh my god. I mean, I suppose they have to get them clicks somehow. (laughs) Looks evil, but is apparently an angel and loves his girl publicly. That's not describing uh, Waluigi, but it very well could be. Oh yeah, no, sorry, that's about Pete Davidson. (laughs) Oh, sorry. Okay, this is in the article, so they're tracing it from somehow Ariana Grande made it blow up. Uh, we're talking about her fiancé. Um, but then, okay, so, so how does they how do they tie it to Waluigi is my question. <laughs> well, basically, if anyone has it, it's got to be him just because of how loved he is because that's, cause that's how it works, apparently. Well, apparently. It, it, there was actually a thing, I think our uh, friend on Twitter, uh, Spearhawk, was talking about that was actually um, the attractiveness of the grotesque, which was specifically talking about that the sort of almost attractive way some a character that is like physically unattractive or ugly but unashamedly so (laughs) has there and he talked that and like actually Wario was used as one of the examples since Wario is like unashamedly Wario Mm-hmm. Yeah, at that and that almost swings around into being admirable or even attractive in, in if not necessarily sexually, then charismatically, in the fact right. that it is just somebody who has so much confidence and no fucks given about how others perceive them, that it winds up being a positive trait. Uh, other video game characters about this mentioned were uh, Roadhog from. Uh, Overwatch. Overwatch. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
And I'm sure that we can, like, think of a few for that. But I think, actually, big that <laughs> big dick you, you energy character. does wind up, uh, if not actually being synonymous with Venn diagram with it very well. Yeah, I'd say that there's definitely a certain amount of overlap that happens there. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's... Because because what Carrie Carrie Fisher and Rihanna definitely have in common is just not giving any fucks. Yeah. So <laughs> So it's a, so yeah. Like it's a form of confidence. And the the hilarious thing is we're like another few days away from this being a very serious descriptor of personality. Somehow it went from a complete joke <laughs> to being you know, people seriously considering... Soaring today. high in the sky and its migration to its birthing place of New Mexico. Yes. I mean, I eventually saw started to see small dick energy do- jokes, so there's also that. Yeah. <laughs> ad- adequate dick energy, yes. Yeah. No, not even adequate, just small dick energy. Uh, what? So. Yes. Well, that... I mean, and that is a good... That seems like a good, it seems like a positive thing, because it's a way of saying, (laughs) talking about someone without necessarily dealing with their actual attributes and shaming someone for not having, you know, sufficient attributes. It just says, it doesn't matter what the actual size of your genitals are, it's your, it's completely to do with your confidence level. And obviously we're talking about people who aren't even, you know, who aren't, who don't even have a dick in the first place. How are we talking about this? So, because so, <laughs> it's saying, good to know. We're, we're having a I, serious conversation about this all yeah. of a sudden. Semi serious. I think I've had weirder conversations oh, yeah. about things Wallowing. seriously. God, remember that road trip where we went up talking about the hypothetical meat world? I think so. Oh, wait, yeah. Wait, because it was off of um, the Tin Man, the original Tin yeah, Man from the Wizard of Oz, right? So the details came up, so it was like, almost in almost like a Waluigi Wario inversion there, if ours is a place where, like, people, where, like, where, like if we are the non-meat universe, then there is an equivalent one that is the meat universe. Where a majority okay. of things are meat, but I mean, and non-meat is eaten. Oh gosh! So oh jeez! But we are meat, though. So how? Are yeah, we they, meat universe. Yeah, this are is why like, this was be... a very long car trip, and this wound up being a very long discussion. <laughs> I don't think I was a part of this particular conversation, but I do remember the whole thing about the meat man because yeah. you had the tin man. And and that, and it, yeah, if I remember discussion. correctly, that conversation segued into discussing the nuances of B movie. <laughs> oh, the, the B movie. <laughs> yeah, the B movie. The Jerry Seinfeld yes. animated yeah. classic from. Ah, the Jerry Seinfeld bee, like, flirting with a woman that could easily just casually accidentally crush him. Big dick energy. (laughs) That is the ultimate big dick energy if you're a bee and you're you're going out with a woman a hundred times your size, basically. Yeah. Um, (laughs) That is a movie I... Apparently, and I've only recently learned about this, the true ending of that movie was supposed to be the bee character going off into space. What... <laughs> he becomes an astronaut and he goes off into space. Uh, 
okay. I mean, ha having never seen the movie, I can't say if that's an illogical ending to it. Yeah, but no, it, it is. Seems arbitrary. In, in in a movie that is a series of illogical things happening, <laughs> that very much actually does not follow any other part of the movie. I I can confirm that. Yeah. I Apparently, part of the premise was to take every single B is in the letter B movie trope or trait and try to shove them all into one movie. And obviously, you can't quite do that. No. <laughs> so that's where the premise originally started. But then they remembered, oh, wait, this has to be for kids. But then they put a trial in the movie because why? <laughs> um. <laughs> okay. Well, so yeah, it's it's it, it was a movie that should not have happened, and apparently it happened because Jerry Seinfeld once made a really bad joke to um, Steven Spielberg, and Steven Spielberg probably chuckled to himself oh far too much over it and decided to make a movie with that, Jerry Seinfeld. The horrors that have been unleashed because Steven Spielberg was amused. Steven yeah, Spielberg, he gave that's it, how we Steve, got Indiana Jones four. Well, that's how we got. <laughs> It is. It's how we got Colin Trevorrow, apparently. It was basically Steven Spielberg, like, met him once and thought he was cool. Well, I guess he liked his first movie that he made, uh, which was uh, Safety Not Guaranteed. Which is not a good movie, by the way. I'm going on record for that right now. Some people think it's okay. I, I do not like that movie. Um, and yet, because of it, that and meeting Spielberg and having big dick energy to, to Steven Spielberg... <laughs> Apparently, that was what got him uh, a career directing freaking Jurassic Park and almost a Star Wars and sorry Jurassic World. Um, Book yeah, of this Henry. Guy, this... How can we forget his magna opus? How how can we? Well, I wish you would tell me if you figure it out because we all want. Although again, that's as with the B movie, you kind of go. I almost no, no, want no. to see that. Here, here's the thing. Book of Henry is it ab like Collateral Beauty is an absolute disaster. But I'm kind of <laughs> glad it exists for okay. the for the unintentional uh, just what it unintentionally has enriched the culture and life <laughs> by existing. Oh God! Just it, it, it it's effectively like um, I'm trying. You know how you put like a mirror in a parakeet's cage. So that mm -hmm. it occasionally gets confused by there being another parakeet and pecks it, and this keeps it from being bored and enriches its mind. I feel that movies that fail so much like <laughs> Book of Henry and Collateral Beauty are like that <laughs> for the culture as a whole. Because it's just something oh, that God. we can like, look at and just almost create collectively come together trying to solve this puzzle of how did this happen? Uh, it is, it's something that brings, like, the culture collectively together to untangle a Gordian knot to figure oh, out God. what is this, why is this, how is this, <laughs> for what is this, <laughs> but... Yeah. Um... Well, I just, I, I've only seen the legendary trailer, which, of course, famously changes tones and genres every 30 seconds when you're watching the trailer. And, uh, no, um, that's the movie. Apparently the movie uh, lives up to that, which is pretty impressive. But it is, it hmm. it should be said, Also, another benefit of that movie is that it spared us Colin Trevorrow on Star Wars Episode Nine. Um, really? Well, yeah. It, well, I mean, yeah. 
I'm guessing, but everyone see between seeing the movie and it bombing terribly, uh, that yeah. seems to have been what <laughs> what got him. No, I I can the, actually uh, confirm that this is a movie that I could see somebody in charge of Star Wars seeing and yep. like immediately making a panicked call. Yeah. Oh gosh. Okay. So it's almost- That's Shove interesting. Shove it down. Shove it all down. <laughs> <laughs> Hit the red button. Well, maybe that's a good indication of why you should not hire people for major movies because they made one indie that, and Steven Spielberg liked them a bit. And I mean, oh, it's hard perhaps, to argue with Steven Spielberg's instincts, obviously, are we perhaps, over the years. Are, well, his instincts also gave us Michael Bay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, he's maybe he's maybe lost it a little over the years. They can't all be... Maybe he shouldn't be getting other people to make movies is really the thing. <laughs> but well, how, are we so, proposing... Sorry, said... Wait, Adam. Are yes. we proposing that this is actually perhaps a dark side of the big dick energy? <laughs> the inverted the... dick energy. Or the or not even, like, the inverted counter, like this is the uh, wah big dick energy. <laughs> or... Oh, jeez! <laughs> The like, but simply that this is like the uh, yin to the yang, or the yin to the yang there, or the positive <clears throat> to the negative. That with you know the benefits that possibly big deck energy could have, such as getting people into clubs that they are not welcome in, uh-huh. or getting, <laughs> yeah, or for, no, or getting people out of traffic tickets. Or Rihanna, it also gives us say. um... <laughs> Michael Bay movies, or the, I can't remember his well, name, but the guy who wants to be Quentin Tarantino, who did Hostel and Cabin Fever, his undying oh, confidence. Oh, uh, Eli that, Roth. Yeah, and, or it gives us Eli Roth's undying confidence that he's made movies. <laughs> <laughs> well, in that, that case... There is inevitably a negative that goes with the positive. Yes. Much well, in like case, how still... in the... Ancient Greeks believed that the physician was the master of both disease and cure, poison and wellness. <laughs> well, okay, so that's, you know, that's the, as you say, the dark side of the big dick energy, but it works well for the people who is in, the person who's employed. The taint it, of the big dick energy, if you will. Yes, regardless of whether he means it well or poorly for those around him. The, uh, the inverted uh, big dick energy, the big wah dick energy, as you might say, is that of the people around them who make bad decisions and listen to the people with big dick energy and can't detect the uh, the badness of these people. That's my hmm. that's my postulation right there. So Did I ma- are so, so are we postulating perhaps a BDR or bad dick resonance? phenomena where the big dick energy resonates off of other people and keeps them from putting a stop to things that should be harmful. Yes. Well, I think it's only natural that the existence of one implies the existence of the other ing. I think uh, I think the formula for that would be fairly clearly expressed as uh, oh, no. BD, BDE uh, equals negative BDR, as it were. Um, and the two have a natural attraction, like the neuron, like the uh, electron and the positron. Um, they are drawn together, and the one cancels out the other. Right? 
Yeah, I was wondering if we were going to have that it was like a gravitational field, so that it would be like uh, BDE e is equal to BDR, or uh, BDR is equal to BDE over uh, distance <laughs> squared. All right, oh get, my god. All right, get the whiteboard out. So I'm getting out a whiteboard, <laughs> and I'm flipping it over. <laughs> you gotta have... You gotta have sigma in there because all complicated equations have a sigma in there somewhere. Uh, um, we'll oh, we'll figure well, it out. If okay, I remember correctly, what does sigma represent? A repeating function? Sorry. Um, oh. Hi. Well, I don't to... know enough math or science to, to know any of this. Well, unfortunately, I, well, I don't either. Pitch for I just... a sequel to Beautiful Mind, a big dick. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. I think you're right. <laughs> A beautiful dick, yes. A beautiful um, dick. And of course, good dick hunting, where he, he's a dick. <laughs> <laughs> I picked the wrong time to take a sip of coffee! <laughs> well, I think well, I'm going to nominate that as the episode title, Big Dick Hunting. Big Dick Hunting, yeah. People will be very confused oh, with that. Oh, gosh. gosh. Oh, that's cleared up my skin and watered my crops. Well done. <laughs> well, yes, watering your crops may be another form of big dick energy, by the way. Anyway, <clears throat> so uh, is, just, I'm, I'm doing pretty well for a guy who, sorry, who's on a whole ton of medication right now. Yeah, anyway. you can't tell. Uh, so the yeah, summary maybe. of the article is that Waluigi's not the only Nintendo character with big dick energy. Yoshi has big dick energy. Bowser? Possible big dick energy. Samus's big dick energy is through the roof. But if the, the internet is going to give big dick energy a face, I for one cast my vote for Waluigi. I mean, he does have that victory pose in what I think it's in the soccer game yes. where he's it, he's he does crotch chops. Yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can't help but thinking of your explanation for Waluigi's origin uh, over the years, uh, how he had been stretched on a rack uh, <laughs> yep. by Wario. So logically, if he was stretched on a rack to become bigger. Uh, that would also affect his dick, right? His dick had also been stretched. Well, are, uh, that would mean that there would actually dick. be, like, you would have five tethers, one for each limb and one for the dick. Yes, of course. <laughs> and the neck. It's, it was an extensive process, apparently. Oh, okay, yes. Because, it, you know... <laughs> Rack is perhaps a I... simplistic term for this very sophisticated piece of Swedish ergonomic equipment. <laughs> Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> oh dear. And this is <laughs> yes, Waluigi. Waluigi at this point, I'm starting to suspect, is kind of like a worm tongue to Wario's uh, uh, Saruman. Um, That's you know, not a he, bad explanation. <laughs> he mm. kind of, he kind of, he kind of is, uh, you know, falls along his wake, but someday. He will stab him in the back and take his revenge on uh, for all the misery that Wario has uh, <laughs> visited. Although yeah, they're two evil dudes who found yeah, each that's other true. and get that along does, famously. Right. By established by last week, it is a viable interpretation to read them as a couple. Right. Yep. Right. Yes, there are. <laughs> there. Well, it could be an unhealthy relationship, of course. Yes. But you're right. I mean, it doesn't. That's always true. <laughs> yeah. After but, all, Wa is love. 
baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. No more. <laughs> what is wrong with all of us? Anyway. I, yeah. <laughs> what? It's, anyway. <laughs> well, there you go. So Waluigi has been, you know, the funny thing about this, uh, Articles. It doesn't actually give a very good explanation for why Waluigi has big dick energy. <laughs> it's well, it pretty much makes the argument of just basically look at Waluigi. Yeah, I mean <laughs> he yeah. exists and people love him. Yeah, yeah people we don't love know him why, the fact but people that love him. No reason to. Yeah. Yeah. But, there really isn't. Yeah. Well, like this show, they're uh, attracting the the heat, the Waluigi heat, uh, in the form of clickbait by claiming as big dick energy and just putting it out there with no real explanation. But hey, it is true that Waluigi has developed a fan base based on basically nothing. Uh, so is that the is that the fictional character version of big dick energy when you're a non-entity and Somehow that makes you uh, powerful and famous. Yeah, that would mean the Kardashians have very big dick energy. Then. Yeah. Yes, uh. I would agree. I think that is actually true. <laughs> they had very little, although they had wealth, and they did get, uh, as we know, fame from their dad being involved with the O.J. Simpson trial. Uh, so Correct. They had a stepping stone, but it is also, true that. Um, I need everyone to check because I forgot about it, but then I put it, so I had to. Uh, clarify and then put up this bit of uh, thing uh, that can easily be our. And anyway, here's the next article to transition. Okay. The size. Which we go of from the figurative big dick energy to literal Nintendo dick energy and measurements with this article by pedestrian.tv. We now know the size yeah. of Luigi's strongest thanks to the internet and algebra. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, yeah. Oh, this bit. I, I do, in fact, remember <laughs> Yeah, this. this is several months old at this point, yes. but, yeah. People people have way too much time. Yes. This is based on the, uh, the, uh, article. There, there's a which... picture of Luigi where people have taken the bulge and the penis and attempted to then uh, calculate its ratio to the tennis racket being held and going by the normal dimensions of tennis rackings to calculate Luigi's penis size. Yes. Because it should be noted, this is also the first, I believe, tennis game where they're not in their overalls, and that also freaked people out. So... Well, it is a tennis outfit, so there you go. Apparently it's- the yeah. math declares that it is about 3.7 inches flaccid. Uh-huh. There you what? go. And that's based on the, the, the size of an average tennis racket, which I think is yes. may, may not apply in this case, because Luigi is a cartoon character with, uh, <laughs> with you know, who do, are, we, are we sure about the actual sizes of Mario and Luigi? Are they human-sized? Are they, like, two feet tall? Are they... Uh, they, I monsters? do know that Mario has an official height. Let me check oh, and see what Luigi's okay, official right. height so is. We've established this. That's good. Of course, because of course we have. <laughs> yes. Hold on. <laughs> All right. 
With Mario accurately being five foot one, <laughs> uh, this would make Luigi about five five. Fair enough. So they are fairly small. So, but his tennis yes. racket in his world might not be the size of an average tennis racket. Is all I'm saying. It um, seems right. to be Mike properly proportioned for a standard tennis racket for an adult man. Yeah. 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 Uh, Game Theory did actually do an entire goddamn video about this. So, if y'all want to really know, guys, you did the math. I, I'm going to be honest. Part of why I'm focusing on it, there is very uh. few video game news that is this abusing and not just depressing. <laughs> this is true. This is very. Do you very have any true. idea how hard <laughs> I had to, how deep I had to dig to find ah video game news minus racism, <laughs> or or minus or racism, anti-feminism, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well bigotry. Well, maybe that's yeah. maybe that's the beauty of Waluigi is the fact that news about him is always positive and uplifting, and it will never be about you know, how Waluigi has uh, joined a white supremacist cult and uh, voted for Trump. It, it will always be about Waluigi's uh, bizarre existence, uh, which, no matter how creepy and weird, will not be racist or misogynist. Hmm. So that's my theory on the appeal of Waluigi. So, there you go. I can buy that. <laughs> He appeals to all. <laughs> he appeals to all with his sheer weirdness, but harmlessness. So, and Should apparently we... Luigi as well. Luigi as well, because there's an article about the size of Luigi's chongus. And why? I, I've literally never heard that phrase before, chongus. Uh, so, I don't know if they're just making that up. Um. Well, here's the thing, even if they are euphemisms for penis or as such, that <laughs> it's immediately recognizable. Yes. Yeah. That is like interesting. Like, there's uh, somehow a certain uh, somatic, or not somatic, a verbal, like, grammar or shape to phallic imagery to where it is recognizable as such, even if never used previously. It's sort of a corollary to the uh, infinite breast euphemism phenomena, or theory. Ah, uh, yes. But, which, for those who yes. don't know, specifies that literally any any noun can be used as a Gosh. euphemism for breasts. <laughs> simply by a tone of okay. language. Simply by a tone of language. The sentence, uh -huh. would you check out the blank on her, uh -huh. for example, if said in an appropriately uh, creepy way, <laughs> uh, for any value of blank, or X in this equation, uh -huh. where X equals any noun in the English uh, dictionary or vocabulary, its meaning will always mean breasts. Right. Check out the wainscoting on her. Check out the refrigerators on her. <laughs> oh jeez! Check out the, check out the Yorkshire. Check out the blue ribbon Yorkshire terriers on that one. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> check out the, the cryptic crossword puzzles on her. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. That, that, I don't know if that works. She has a fine I mean, Q-tips. 
Yeah, Q-tips. Yeah. Well, that's it. Reminds me of the Norm Macdonald routine where he talks about how like the the, the insin, in, innuendo spouting hosts from like you know uh, you know studs in the late '90s or whatever, and they'd always he'd talk about you know if you wanted to go out with a popsicle, uh, you know, if if I was a popsicle, what would you do to me? And he'd say, well, I'd grab hold of your sticks if you know what I mean, and then yeah. I'd. Take off your wrapper, if you know what I mean. <laughs> and then I'd press you against the counter till you break, if you know what I mean. And then I'd put half of you in the fridge for later, if you know what I mean. <laughs> just keep <kept> going. <laughs> and it makes less and less sense as a new window as it goes on. Uh, anyway. So, who else remembers the show Whose Line Is It Anyway? I think we all do. Yeah. Yes. One of my favorite games for that, I think, literally was called If You Know What I Mean. Where the whole yeah, premise... it does. It it didn't get as much play compared to some other games, but uh, yeah. But the whole premise of it was to give a scene and make things sound dirty, despite them not actually being, <laughs> and like completely not being dirty. It was great. <laughs> and then, of course, going all the way back to Seinfeld, where uh, Jerry's attempt at dirty talking was: "Are those the panties your mother laid out for you?" <laughs> Oh, <laughs> which made no oh. sense and just confused everyone. <laughs> oh, I think that made anyway. me sterile. <laughs> make you sterile? Oh. What? <laughs> so should anyway. we transition from Waluigi's something everyone could love uh-huh. to something that no one could love and everyone uh-huh. has united in hate against? Yep. All right. Mm-hmm. This one comes to us from the San Diego Union Tribune, which, first of all, you pick one name and stick to it. You're trying too hard. <laughs> Written by the illustrious contact reporter Chris Reed, which, again, pick one name and stick to it. Those are t- two first names. Um, <laughs> and also, what is a contact reporter? Like... I think that means, like, a reporter, but while they're writing it, they have to run down a football field and other, and editors are trying to tackle them, or, like, or that they have to do it on ice skates and an entire NFL team is after them, trying to check them into the board. Actually, I think it was just a link if you want to contact him. Well, okay, if we want to not be fun about it. I wonder how much hate mail he's gotten for this one article. Ignore my very funny imagery of like somebody trying desperately to write up their think piece clickbait on an old Blackberry as an entire New Zealand rugby team chases them with cudgels. Then fine, we can go by what is actually in reality. Okay. Who writes the article in opinion slash commentary? Let's be honest, America. Dogs are parasites, not man's best friend. Mm-hmm. Which yes, then has a the... picture of a beagle, which the caption reads, a beagle puppy looking toward a photographer. No, you don't know what he's thinking. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, is it an, an attempt to you know, de-emotionalize it as much as possible, I guess, <laughs> to make his point, but to de-anthropomorphize it as much as possible. 
Yeah, but the problem is, is that we anthropomorphize everything, so it doesn't matter. Well, his basic argument is that dogs don't actually like you, they just want food, which... So, I don't know if anyone knows this, but this is actually my educational background. (laughs) Yes, yes it is. (laughs) That and And clowns. So, yeah. Well, no, clowns is just a hobby. (laughs) No, clowns is just a thing that I don't know how I know, and, like, my question, and, like, I basically question, it's like, look, I didn't have to do deep digging to somehow absorb this information. I seriously don't know how no one else knows this. Uh Um... Clown, the knowledge of clowns just wafts towards you on the breeze in the summer day. Anyway, but yes, yeah, you're so, a biologist. Bio- yeah, we'll go with that. Um, by training, he knows. Yeah. So to get some background about basically what this is, so you had like for a lot of the uh, natural philosophy, like from Aristotle forward. There was, like, an inherent anthrocentric view of it. And you had, like, a lot of anthrocentric descriptions of animal be- behavior and that sort of thing. And then, basically, at around the Enlightenment and going on to, like, Victorian era, there was a movement to kind of uh, remove yourself from that and be more uh, clinical and detached in discussing this. Which is fine, which, you know, on its host is fine, but that, like, gives a lot of idea for, like, a lot of descriptions of things, and that also ties into a lot to, like, uh, what was it, ethnography, or, like, a whole bunch of stuff that's actually, we, science really doesn't like to talk about, because it's not a good period of time for it. Um, Mm. Anyway, flash forward to that there is then a... Basically, looking at a whole bunch of stuff, and effectively there's then a bunch of kind of counter-studies that come to it that find, hey, a lot of the stuff that was done supposedly in this clinical detachment thing was flawed and gave us a wrong view of animals and such things. Uh, Books like uh, Never Cry Wolf for example, detail the studying wolves in their natural habitat opposed to the artificial habitat, which is where the erroneous theory of the alpha dominancy comes from. Wolves don't actually live like that. That's the result of an abusive environment. And basically people then... Then you got people starting to talk and look into it. It's like, oh yeah, a lot of our views of animal behavior and biography are basically informed by Victorian-esque standards of what is appropriate for Western civilization social interaction, and that was basically projected onto them. So then there's the thing, okay, what are animals really like? And we have to take into account that, you know, uh, not to project, like, gender biases on all that blah blah blah. And, of course, that makes things... Uh, squishier, and there was, of course, the thing where it's like, okay, so we can't anthropomorphize or put animals into too much of a human context, which is fine, but the, well, the wah big dick energy (laughs) counterpoint to that, if they will, is that a bunch of people basically wanted to use 
this to effectively butch up, quote-unquote, a softer science, and for a lot of people that means kind of going back to the Victorian thing of act of rather than just talking, hey, animals aren't just little people, goes to the things that of basically denial of any act of sapience or sentience upon animals. And my favorite example of this were people arguing that, like in actual science things, arguing fish don't feel pain, they just have ad- reactions to adverse stimuli. <clears throat> what? Which, right. okay, so you take a fish out of the water and it flops around... These people will argue, no, it looks like it's in pain, but it's not in pain. You're anthropomorphizing it. It's just reacting to adverse stimuli, which kind of the counterpoint to that is, yeah, that's what pain is. Right. Yeah, I was going to say, what? Yeah, so... The, there's... I mean, it's... I mean, if you, if you take the opposite, if you hold somebody down underwater they're going to feel pain <laughs> as a result. So, how is the fish not feeling pain being out of the water? Right, and they're... Like, well, the, I mean, the argument, I guess, is that the fish don't have as sophisticated a, neuro, a nervous system as we do. But, they, I well, mean, they do. Um, yeah, well, they're... Yeah, I was, I'm enough, uh, clearly <laughs> enough to feel pain because there's the reaction to it, and um, that's part of... Thing. like it's very complex there's some people who basically see the hard scientist as it being like officially out to kind of kill your darlings and be as unro- effectively anti-romanticism and then I would say that there's the more appropriate ones there that are saying it's like well that's just kind of projecting a kind of just very dick swinging hetero masculine kind of toxic masculinity version of what rationalism is mm. onto your mm. observations. Right. And mm-hmm. that's tainting them, and it's like, like look to the comparisons for them. And for... And especially with animal behavior... Look, uh... Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Now, in some ways talking that animals perceive pain differently than people do there is some degree to argue that. For example, there's the thing that, like, a lot of animals, even very smart ones, don't have as much of a concept of, I guess, effectively the emotional now of what feels, like, relevant to be upset about. Right. And if you get the idea that human... If you want to imagine if this is, like, a period of time humans tend to have one that goes very far back into the past and very far looking forward into the future. And things at either end of those can affect, like, the emotional response. Right. Where a lot lot of animals have a much shorter one that goes to either the immediate past or immediate future, and once that is over, it's either committed to basically just... Uh, long-term memory or not worried about. So, an an example we were given is that, so, uh, one, for my practical classes, I had to work at a swine farm. And one of the things that you have to do when uh, new piglets are born is basically the postnatal treatment, which involve uh, shots of iron, 
uh, clipping their nails and their milk teeth so that they don't actually hurt each other in their scampering or that. And for some of the males on base of it, the, this is when you do castration, mm-hmm. which okay. we learned how to do. Now, castration is done without anesthetic. Oh, okay. But this is, as far as we can tell, the best practice for minimizing pig suffering with the procedure. And this was done via basically studying, uh, like, doing the whole electrode thing of testing pig reactions when they performed the operation in different ways, and then compared it, like, into the recovery time, and, like, measured stress hormones in the blood, and concluded that this was the way that the pigs were least stressed out by it. Interesting. And now, okay. you may be asking, because actually, you know, it's more stressful for the pigs to be put under and then wake up. Right, because they don't understand that, yeah. I'm guessing? Now, why they suddenly you, fell asleep? Yeah, now you may be asking, of course, well, why don't you? we just do a local anesthetic? And it's like, yes, that would be a good thing, if not for the problem that piglets together tend to be kind of dumb mm-hmm. and pig... Because they're babies, they don't know anything, but they are born right. basically with full teeth, and they will. Uh, their main way of interacting with the world is largely with their mouths, mm-hmm. and pigs will eat anything, including each other, and it makes the problem there that if a piglet is, say, numb in that area, other piglets will, like, see the blood or, like, that area and curiously gnaw on it making it worse, Mm. and will not know to stop unless the other piglet protests. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, so that they found... So, yeah, so so that it was tried doing this with local anesthesia and found that this actually hurt the piglets more just by due to pig social interaction. So that's an example to... And, like, from watching the pigs... They don't uh-huh. actually mind the surgery aspect that much. Okay. okay. They're the That's interesting. Yeah, no, the stress the stress that they feel from being removed by the sow far outweighs that. Mm-hmm. And when and the relief okay. from being returned to the sow seemingly erases any problems that they had with the operation. So that interesting, right? So okay. So there's an example too. This is an animal. It has sapience and it has sentience and possibly even sentience as we know it. But its mm-hmm. perception of the world is different than what we do with humans. And also, right. you know, it is being treated as a food livestock. So if there, if it wasn't just for that, we might treat it differently. That's a whole different ethical thing. But that's where I'm getting at it. Mm-hmm. Okay. We, uh, no, that's all interesting. Yeah, I wandered a bit into the woods for that. So but, that's yeah. okay. That's where it's valid to talk about. Okay, but animals do not necessarily have exact emotion or processing as humans do, but especially things like uh, higher vertebrae, and actually, shockingly, to a lot of other ones, they do have analogous emotional or mental processes. Right. Right. Uh, it's like we see this a lot there and so basically this uh, and I'm sorry for using so much technical jargon but douchebags 
argument <laughs> is that dogs benefit uh, from being pets there, so they are just manipulating us and being uh, manipulative for that, and that they are, like, evolutionarily selected to be parasites. Right. This, um, this is isn't that actually not the case historically? Like, um, yeah, I mean, here's not... the thing. One, he's he's basically, um, and again, technical term, a fucking pissant, and uh-huh. ignoring what we would actually call this relationship is uh, part of symbiosis, symbiosis right. detailing uh, mm-hmm. non-predator, <clears throat> pre- non-direct predator prey reactions uh, across species, and it is right. specifically mutualism. Mm-hmm. Which means that it is right. something that ha- that both sides, to some degree, benefit, and right. thus are I mean, adapted to tolerate. Another yeah, example it, of that would be uh, bees and flowers, right. uh, gut flora, right. and literally every animal that has a digestive system. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you if you if if you were in the Stone Age, which is when dogs were domesticated, you wouldn't just keep dogs or these wolves that were slowly being domesticated around for no reason. They served right, an right. obvious function, uh, which was mm-hmm. to help with the hunt, for one thing. Uh, I think they would help you guard your camp as well. Yes. They'd, uh, you know, they'd set up to barking if someone was coming, that you'd, like a hostile source. Um, they have a bunch of different functions. Obviously, if you're, you know, Inuit people use them as dogs, as, you know, pack animals, dog sleds, and probably some other early people did the same. So they've got all these values Oh yeah, uh, for example, man. the rock the Rottweiler breed is actually so bulky because it was bred to uh, drag uh, workloads. Right. Oh. I mean, essentially every breed type has a purpose. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Even if it, even if it, technically yeah. through various types of breeding, may have lost its mm-hmm. appearance of that purpose. Well, well but uh, pretty much every breed is also one of the purposes. Right. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And, you can't... But even so, basically, but even for a lot of the ca- companionship ones, a lot of them were still based off of breeds that were often meant to hunt hunt small things yeah. is really my main but point. Even um, from the beginning, but, yeah. dogs also had the benefit, had uh, one of the roles of companionship and part of the thing is mm-hmm. that the domestication came because basically wolf social structure and human social structure is effectively close or analogous enough that Wolves that have uh, certain traits, basically high in empathy and being able to read body language, social cues, and that things, can successfully integrate into a human society. Right. And that humans find dogs pleasant enough company and useful enough to both allow and encourage this. Cats did Mm -hmm. something similar, too. Cats basically... Uh, prove themselves aesthetically and in some cases practically but it as near as we can tell the domestication of cats came from entirely that cats started hanging out around humans (laughs) and humans found them aesthetically pleasing enough not to drive them away right well i always like that the dogs dogs are basically the first animal we domesticated and cats are the last uh, (laughs) uh temporally if i'm not mistaken uh, they're one of the most recent animals to be domestic. Maybe not the most. Re- I'm pretty sure the most recent animal 
Um, but maybe I, maybe it's not the most recent, but it, it's more close. recent than dogs <laughs> and part of the re- yeah. But so it comes up there that so it comes like in the actual signs there. No, dogs actually do see their humans as their family. They are mm-hmm. the equivalent of the pack there, and they get around there. And yes, there can be tensions because this is a canid and basically a. Uh, Simian-based social structures trying to work together, and dogs aren't as smart as humans, but humans are willing to work with dogs to, you know, help them survive in the world and understand the social cues, blah, 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 blah. No. Right. Right. And there and are... There's a reason why dogs are usually um, service animals. Yeah. Technically, anything can be a service animal, but dogs are used mostly because of that reason, because of their um, likeliness for empathy. Yeah. Right. Here's the so here's the thing in intelligent tests between dogs and wolves, wolves in many mm-hmm. instances are seen as far smarter than dogs. They complete okay. the tests much faster, figure out stuff like spatial things a lot easier. Okay. Unless the test involves picking up a hint or social cue from a human. Usually the human point Usually in these tests, the human just points to the to what the solution is, or points to a hint at it. In these instances, dogs vastly outperform wolves because mm. dogs basically uh, mentally are far more for uh, basically equipped for cross-species empathy and communication. Hmm. That makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah. Right. So, and it's not a parasitism. Thing just because the dog benefits from it, this is kind of absurd. No. There, like um, one of our friends on Twitter said, "There, this is like saying, oh, your friends hang out with you just because they like to." <laughs> <laughs> Loser! Oh God, that's the worst. <laughs> yeah, and again, dogs with no humans actually in cases can survive and go back to that. You know. There, mm-hmm. And there's an actual difference between uh, feral and basically human-oriented dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, but the being domesticated, that is like that's still you're not never going to be fully wild, right? Like you're still. Am I, uh, am I wrong about that, or I mean, a, a part of the thing. Um, basically, it comes down to that the dogs are so naturally wired at this point. Mm-hmm. to, like, coexist with humans in that they, it's, that there is, like, a thing where they won't, like, go back to being wolves, basically. Right. There's a degree of difference. Because they can't. Right. Yeah. Uh, although it's also interesting, in uh, New Jersey, there's a phenomenon known as koi dogs. Which... Koi right. dogs? Koi dogs. Which we have in, like, the parents. Oh, that's right. Or that, and that is basically from feral or abandoned dog popu- wild dog populations uh, right. interbreeding with coyotes. And the result are actually, like, a thing that has, like, a hybrid social structure between dogs and coyotes and mm-hmm. is actually more dangerous than either one because it has right. the hunting mm-hmm. instincts of well, coyotes one- and now kind of the broader social intelligence of dogs. Right. Of the dogs. Yeah. And I've heard there's also the koi wolves, which are apparently right. really bad because 
they have the aggression of the wolves, and but wolves are afraid of humans, but coyotes aren't. So they mm-hmm. keep the bravery, as it were, of the coyotes and the aggressiveness of the wolves. So apparently those guys are really dangerous, the coyotes. Yeah, I don't know if it's safe to say that coyotes aren't afraid, but coyotes well, less af- are less used to working with it. Here's the thing. There are large populations of urban coyotes. If you live in a city, there are you mm-hmm. probably have coyotes as neighbors, but right. they Ow. are simply so adapted and so stealthy at it, most people are not aware of this. There is indeed hmm, a right. population of, like, Chicago and I think Manhattan mm-hmm. urban coyotes that hmm. they are actually looking and seeing that they are distinctly, like, right. population isolated and distinct enough that they are going into, like, subspecies territory. Right. right. Where they well, are, where and... their behavior is distinct enough from other coyotes that it can be right. readily recognizable. Well, I don't think there are any coyotes in where I live in Toronto, uh, I think Might we're a little be. too far north for coyotes. Well, yeah. Uh, but, um, I, although, yeah, no, I don't think so. Um, but we do have uh, foxes and wolves. Yeah. Well, I don't know. We have, we have raccoons, basically, is what we have. <laughs> well, everywhere has raccoons. Yeah, raccoons. They're, <laughs> they're, they're the ones who will inherit the earth uh, more than coyotes, but yes. Um, yeah, that's, that's actually a good question. Do we? But have, I feel like we see, actually maybe here's we do also, have coyotes. Anyway, it's it's possible that you might have coyotes because you you are n- more north, but you're not that no, yeah. too much far north. Yeah. So yeah, maybe we do. Here's I the thing: know. he also talks about like stuff that actually disprove his point. Like forty percent of married female dog owners report they receive more emotional support from their pet than their husband or their kids. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. Yeah, that means that the dog is actually providing a mutualism <laughs> yes, there. The dog. Uh huh. And here's the thing we actually do know by science that dogs actually do feel comforted or feel upset by their owners mm-hmm. in certain things. Mm-hmm. It actually was really hard to do because basically we had to do like brain scans of dogs and it's hard to get them to sit still in the machines, yeah. but they right. managed to I do it imagine. and found that the sight of basically their owners or their the humans they recognize as family directly mm-hmm. basically mm-hmm. lit up the pleasure and delight centers of the dog brain. Mm-hmm. Okay. The same way that it basically does with a toddler when it sees its parent. Okay. So mm-hmm. this yeah, isn't a this isn't a malicious calculating parasite thing. The dog recognizes this person as family, mm-hmm. and, as 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 a good thing, right, right? As a good thing. This is a person I like. Yeah. And in the same way, humans do with friends and family. Right. Mm-hmm. It's it's just you know it's not. <laughs> I don't think even he's implying it's a cynical. Uh, exploitative uh, act on the part of the dogs that the dogs are all outsmarting us by getting us to feed them and and you know it's if if anyone's like that you'd say it's the cats. Uh, <laughs> or, uh, okay, but... don't get me. I have to defend cats now. Um, no, no, no. One, of it's course. okay. But I, the I'm one just... thing that he says I... there is that when the dog when the dog is overjoyed to have you back, is he happy to have you back or his primary meal ticket? Okay, now, you fucking pillock, if you actually knew anything about dog behavior, which is an incredibly complex and deep field of study, 
Mm-hmm. There are when you are training dogs, there is actually an element of like personality traits in dogs of of uh, mod- training motivation, which means that certain training basically incentives don't work with them, and it is legit a thing that some dogs are not food oriented. Hmm. Yep, which means that they literally that if it's you're asking them to do something they don't want to do. Food is not the main motivating factor. Some of them actually are praise motivated. Hmm. Yeah. Which means that they will, that if it comes to, in some instances, if it comes down to getting a treat or getting praise from a person they like, they will more likely pick getting praised by a person. Hmm. Or in some cases, they'll they'll prefer a toy over food. Yeah. Right. So there's always something, but it's not always food. Right, is really the main thing. So it's like and yes, dogs. Humans... Dogs actually are often gluttonous. It's one of the reasons we love them. They're stupid and goofy. Um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> this is quite true. But it's also not just the gluttonous things because dogs have emotional needs as well. If it was just them manipulating for food, a dog wouldn't care if its mast if its owner is then gone all the day as long as the food is there. However, dogs actually develop, like, depression and anxiety disorders based on how they're treated. And even, and not just abuse, but neglect causes this. Yep. And and I think, yeah, if they're just not stimulated enough, basically. Here's a good uh, disproof for it. If owner go on vacation, leave dog with family. Dog is thus well-fed and cared for entire time owner is gone. Owner comes back, dog fucking is balls off the wall ecstatic to see this mm-hmm. person come back, despite, yeah. as this guy would claim, them ha- having a new meal ticket. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, well... It, it's... I mean... This I is think... why I, like, put it that this is specifically clickbait, and that this is such oh, cherry-picking... Yeah some things to make an argument that this guy knows it's odious and going to offend people and he and in some ways we're paying into it because we're talking, we're talking about, about it, it and yeah. it's what the oh, show sort of wants yeah but yeah that's sort of what the show does unfortunately we're in the we're in the, yeah. <laughs> we're in a somewhat uh, gray zone in that we're enhancing all this clickbait but you're right i mean this is really one of the more and you know sometimes with articles like this because I, you know, I start to read it and I'm like, well, he's talking about some of the really outrageous stuff like plastic surgery for dogs and like people, you know, who buy magazines about how to keep their dogs happy and some of the really like, you know, rich people, crazy money uh, things you might do for your dog, uh, which is, you know, fine. And sometimes you get an article like that and, you know, they append a headline to it that's more provocative than what the article was meant to be. And the articles are usually not written by the the, the reporters, right? They're usually written by the editor uh, in, uh, in an attempt to grab clicks or to grab eyeballs. Also, they're usually not written by the uh, bitter, horrible old man from an 80s movie who wants to destroy the school <laughs> playground. Because of those stu- oh yeah, totally not that guy. That kids and their a... stupid dog. Yeah. Give me the well, chance I'd run that dog over. Yeah, I hate dogs and babies and sunlight. 
and love. Um, but um, the, the even the, the fucking like villains from the stop from the uh, Ralph and Bansky Santa Claus is coming to town movie. Yeah, well, I was going to say even even the Grinch had a dog that he liked. Yeah. <laughs> so even the Grinch would not count in this. But this guy is clearly writing an article. And it's not just the headline, it is the article, the text of the article itself. <clears throat> because he is definitely trying to get people riled up. Like, a hundred percent, this is, you know, gee, oh, I'm so naughty, people will click on this article and promote it, and it'll be the talk of the town for a day, which it was. People mm-hmm. are already forgetting it, of course. Um, but, that, <clears throat> that also, that, but also, like, as much as this is trying to rile up and offend people which yeah good job you know that's mm-hmm. really yeah get me yeah. upset that's really fucking hard <laughs> i well, thought yeah, about going i thought people. about the fact that wishbone is definitely dead now and got myself upset yeah it's really hard Aww. to troll me big accomplishment asshole um, <laughs> is that this could all, this has, like, a veneer of earnestness that, oh, this is the kind of guy who, like, sneers that love is just chemicals in the brain. <laughs> right. You can just get love from chocolate. Nah. Uh-huh. And uh, it's like, yeah, the thing, it's well, like, yeah, I mean, what you're saying is true. It isn't making the point you think you are, but. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's you, you know when people are he he wants people to read it and get upset and like dogs are probably literally the easiest thing you could go after. Uh, You're literally kicking around. a dog, yeah, to like, make people you, upset. That that is people because even some of the absolute monsters out there still love their dogs and are not gonna like like excuse uh, dogs the way they'll excuse some other you know horrible stuff like there's just no way because how can you I mean they're dogs <laughs> like you can't read trying to read a sinister agenda into your dog makes no no sense and that is <laughs> like congratulations you wrote an essay that both Hitler and FDR would find morally reprehensible <laughs> exactly. in all likelihood yes possibly yeah. Stalin I don't know did he have a dog probably right um <sighs> I'm sure he had a pet of some kind. Um, he likely had a pet. Yeah. Um, now, I could believe Lenin didn't have a pet, but I pro- I, somehow I think Stalin probably had a pet. Anyway, we'll look that up. Um, but yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, the worst people in the world, you know, they have a dog who they love. And the, I feel Lenin is more of a budgie man. <laughs> <laughs> He'd have a budge regard. He had a goldfish, <laughs> and they insisted that the goldfish act on... <laughs> Precisely, uh, um, very, yeah, eh, along. He had a goldfish and a budgie named communism. Hammer and Sickle, respectively. <laughs> oh my god. Proletari- <laughs> proletariat and bourgeoisie, except then he wouldn't look oh. after bourgeoisie. I'm actually, um, <laughs> side note related to Lenin. You know how there's, I don't know if you've seen, um, just on a complete tangent here, um, <clears throat> there's a, uh, there's gifts and clips and stuff you might have seen online. Uh, that there was a movie, a BBC movie in the 1970s, uh, in which Patrick Stewart played Lennon. Have you seen this? Whoa! No, but I'm not surprised. Yeah, there is. But no, there is. It's a it's a mini series. I I I've seen clips and gifs, and the people often put it up. Uh, you know, the the more Marxist 
contingent online sometimes put up clips from it. But yeah, it was done in um, it was nice well, uh, uh, it's a PC miniseries. It's about the whole. Quick question: Can we specify tanky rather than Marxist? <laughs> no, even <laughs> well, I mean, even the Marxists put it up because they're going, you know, hey, communism or whatever. Uh, I, but I, yeah, I, it's, uh, it's um, yes, the more communist uh, inclined people tend to put it up, and I mean, y- you think about it for five seconds, and that is the most insanely dead-on casting you could possibly imagine is Patrick Stewart playing Lennon, because that is kind of the role he was born to play, more than Professor X or anything like that. He looks exactly like... You give him a goatee and he looks exactly like Lennon. He's got exactly the same sort of bombastic personality where he can command everyone's uh, attention. Anyway, so I've got the... I've tracked down this miniseries and I'm going to watch it and I, uh, in the next uh, couple weeks, and I will tell you... Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll report back to you what it is. But it's called Fall of eagles it's about the whole uh russian uh, the whole russian uh revolution and the build-up to it the romanovs and everything uh world war one so um ah. i'm very excited to watch that i've been hearing about that for years and i'm like okay i gotta watch this it's patrick stewart and an era of history that i've been reading more and more about lately so i'm very excited to, re- <laughs> to see that and I'll, huh. I'll let everyone know if it's worth watching but i can't imagine it's not worth watching just to see Patrick Stewart play Lennon. I mean, that alone, even if the rest of it is garbage, yeah. I can't imagine that it's not worth watching for that. So, I will report back. Also, but, I mean, I just Googled it, and it does look quite good, so... Yes. No, I'm sure it's great. You <laughs> see historical miniseries. I'm sure it's really good. Yeah. yeah. It's 13 part, mm-hmm. so yeah, it shouldn't 13. take you too long to steam <laughs> steam through it. Well, <laughs> that's pretty epic by uh, BBC standards. 13 yes. parts, which means it's yeah, one of the yeah. longest-running BBC series in history. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Tonight we're showing all six episodes. Except whenever they say that, they, it's always... The, the community joke about Doctor Who, which of course has been on for 55 years. So, yeah. <laughs> Any- the only difference is that their episode lengths are different, so that's the only thing. Yeah. But Well, <laughs> okay, also for the longest time, BBC, like, sitcoms and stuff legit would just have be a standard 20-minute show. Mm-hmm. But there would be ah. only uh, six shows a season. Right. And was it 20... Like, they didn't have ads on the BBC, right? Uh, I... No. They didn't up until one point where they then allowed ads in, but the ads are still really limited, and I think limited to a commercial break in the middle, and then commercial breaks uh, in between shows. Right, yes. So... It's like, unless uh, stuff has changed, that was my experience when I visited London, that the commercials are noticeably less intrusive. Right, yeah. Uh, at least on the, BBC, on the BBC, if it's like Sky Plus or any other channel, that right. they tend to have more commercials because they need the funding of right. commercials. Yeah, because BBC is public television and uh, and uh, yeah. Sky is, pu- is a private broadcaster and all yeah. the other stuff. Correct. And I'm yeah. trying real. Uh, I'm... I'm actively trying not to break it into another discussion with Alfie about uh, Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared. I know, I was like, don't bring it up, because it's about this. (laughs) (laughs) Right, I've got to watch that. That's right, you told me to watch it last time, and I didn't, so now I have to try it. Yeah, you'll like it, it's weird enough. Yeah, yeah. Well... There you go. Uh, the BBC, hallmark of... Well, I have a friend who... Uh, or, uh, like, an online pal who uh, who is British, and he writes about TV, and he's really... He really likes uh, a- Andrew Hickey. He's a good uh, writer. He's got a, 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 a 
uh, website. I'll put up a link or whatever. But he's he's very he's a huge Doctor Who fan, and he wrote about all the sort of weird, quirky TV shows. And he he talks about this huge decline in uh, quality in British uh, British TV sometime around I think the late '80s. He said there was some act that came in, which I guess is the equivalent of uh, how in the U.S. It, you know they they made it that. Uh, cartoons could be big toy ads whereas they couldn't before suddenly you were allowed to you know do all this very uh uh commercialized stuff in in tv which they'd resisted a bit up till then um so apparently there's one that's sort of the equivalent of that in the late 80s in britain uh, and he feels that tv after that point kind of declined sharply uh <laughs> there was more yeah and he he, he actually makes it specifically an was the act that i believe uh put commercials in television because prior to that I believe it was just entirely publicly funded yeah basically uh, right in Britain yeah I it yeah could be I don't know enough about the ins and outs of it but that sounds right uh, yeah I know that BBC does have ads now and uh, didn't before we had up in uh, in uh, up here we had uh, as well as we got PBS and we got the CBC which is Canadian TV. But that has mm-hmm. that has ads, um, and then, then there was TVO, which is the pu- provincial public television, as well as the federal, which is the CBC. Um, and the federal had normal ads, but the provincial didn't. Uh, it had um, like the, it had ads, but it was they were like bumpers for other shows. Basically, uh, there was no commercial breaks in the middle of the show. I have not watched TV. I think it's still the same way. I think we're. I don't think we ever. Uh, fell back onto actual ads. The only difference is that uh, corporations could sponsor a show so that they could get ads on that way. Like it was funded by a grant from the blah, blah, blah corporation. So that yeah, would, yeah. they'd get that kind of advertising. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, yeah, you wouldn't get ads on TV Ontario. Um, anyway, it's my childhood TVO. But I have a fondness uh, for TV Ontario. So I'm since sick. I just gave a big lecture about how do dogs work, let me just do my like thirty second defense of cats. Cats okay. are actually cats are emotional creatures. They do like the humans, but the cat social structure yes. is mm-hmm. different than uh, dogs and humans. And cats have their own uh, body language and ways of expressing expression, which expressing expression <laughs> expressing affection, mm-hmm. which if people mm-hmm. are not aware of it or used to it, comes off as uh, them being cold or uncaring. Right. Right. Of course, it's just their, yeah. you know, their own, <laughs> their own un- less human social-like social... Uh, yeah, cats actually uh, have a really interesting social structure where a colony of cats will have, mm-hmm. like, a bunch of cats staking out around the same territory but it will they will overlap with each other at certain places and be divided chronologically so that cats will actually uh tether like two cats can have the same territory or overlapping significantly enough but they will stagger their sleep schedule so that they don't run into each other when they're patrolling Okay. Are you talking about that documentary they did on cats where they put cameras on cats to find out where they go? Oh, I I didn't think and that. And they discovered. I didn't think that. And they one, discovered. But there's, 
but there I'm is that sure... one. Because that one, they also discovered that cats would sneak into each other's houses and eat <laughs> each other's foods. I, yeah. Because that meant that they were, were getting better nutrition that way. Yeah, that would show that. Okay, so cat nutrition. The cat nu- diet and nutritional thing is really genuinely weird. And cats have... <laughs> no, cat. Okay, so cats are have the reputation as picky eaters because the cats have kind of a really weird internal sort of diet thing. They need specifically different proteins that they cannot make themselves, which right. is why a cat cannot live off of dog food, and also, since it's so rich, why dogs, like, fucking crave cat food like it's crack. Um, okay. But <laughs> cats have seemingly have a thing that is predictive appetite where so a lot of the things with animal cravings are basically i am low in this enzyme this protein ergo i crave things that are rich in that cats have a thing Mm -hmm. where they're basically i am not yet low in this but based on how the diet has been i think that my stomach predicts that it might be in the future so my sense of taste and what flavors I like are going to suddenly change to try to pre-compensate for that. <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah, and this... That's also really weird, but that's still interesting. What, so what happens if they get <laughs> so wrong? So this is also, this that. is the phenomena that people have, like, with their cat, like, this was fine for you yesterday, why are you snubbing it? <laughs> And that is it. That literally their tastes change based on what their body what their body needs will come up in the it diet. Needs. It's really weird. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. But huh. okay, huh. so the head of a cat so like the structure of the cat colony, you have like cats are kinda individualist, but they actually like being close enough to each other as long as they're not bumping up too much so that they can check in with each other especially female cats that basically will, like, arrange themselves to have an area overlapping with most of them to basically be a common ground. Okay. And it is at about that area where, that, like, when a cat is pregnant, it will go to there to deliver labor because the other female cats will watch over it and effectively midwife it. I wonder if that's what's happening in my backyard. I hope not. Yeah, you know. <laughs> no, there's a cat who every year has a litter of kittens, and I okay, don't know yeah, what happens what, to them because I can happening. never catch them. <laughs> yeah. That's what's happening. Yeah. Okay. So that's my 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 area. backyard is cat Switzerland. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Of, of like the local wildcat populations. Hmm. Oh God, and, that's so weird because it's a black cat. Yeah. <laughs> And this is also why at the things with like with a lot of indoor cats, why there can be trouble introducing a new cat there. It's not that cats don't like other cats, but it's like, well, mm-hmm. is there enough territory for us to divvy up? The cat like the the older house cat may have may be basically up the thing. I have already claimed all of this house as my territory. If we can't work out a time thing, I'm not willing to share. Or right. it may come up that a cat is, but then again, some cats are like a new friend. I am indeed willing to share my territory. But and then mm-hmm. often there will be places there. Except this, you don't. You touch this, and you die. This is my <laughs> special spot. Hmm. You find your own. <laughs> yeah, I, I uh, when I was young, we had um, we got one cat, and then um, another one showed up, and we took mm-hmm. took him in, and uh, 
they did not get along, but they, but they, you know, based on what you're saying, I think it was that it was like they had to have their own territory. They never wanted yeah. to. Uh, they always wanted to be, uh, you know, awake at different times, or they'd mm -hmm. stake out. You know, one would stake out the living room. One was always downstairs. One was more an indoor cat. One was more an outdoor cat. Uh, yeah. So that does fit. I do remember the one time they were both sitting in the living room on a chair, and they were both like on the back of a chair, each facing in different directions. <laughs> and that was the, that was that was the closest they ever got to like getting along, basically. They no, but that's a, okay. That's actually a that is actually a sign of cat affection. Yeah. Because, really? Yeah. Um, if a cat is secure enough with someone mm. in its territory not to look at them, that's a sign of trust. Hmm. Huh. Like, cats well, greeting each other will... Like, cats that are like... And you'll see cats do this with humans. They will make eye contact with someone and then basically blink and look away. And that is, like, very blatantly signaling, I see you, but I trust hmm. you enough that I feel comfortable looking away. Okay. Interestingly... People who are allergic to cats, when they make eye contact with one, often quickly look away from it reflexively, which the cat interprets as a friendly gesture, which is why cats tend to be friendly to people who are allergic to them. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! Great. <laughs> yeah, the actual thing of, like, slow blink and look away is how you say hello to a cat there, and... It, it's really interesting. Hmm. Once you know it and try it, you can see that, like, cats will respond that way, and it does put them at ease. It's it's very fun. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, knowing, okay. I need to get a cat. Knowing cat <laughs> I language. I need to meet fun. a new cat but, and attempt this. Oh, yeah, the, There's the, lots the, of cats in my the neighborhood. The thing that, like, oh, cats, like, don't like humans, and that their meowing is just, you know, imitating human infant noise so they can manipulate people. It's like, uh, okay, cats literally have a vocalization for happiness and contentment that is involuntary yeah. that mm -hmm. they do that they will do in the presence of humans they like. Mm -hmm. Purring is Purr. literally involuntary happy noise. Yes. Uh-huh. Cats cannot so fake not purring. <laughs> and also it's an inherently social thing because cats will not purr when alone. Mm-hmm. Right. It's an active uh, uh, social signal thing, and it actually, like, the behavior it's derived from is that when kittens are born, they're blind and deaf, but they can feel the vibrations of the mother cat purring and use that to orient themselves to where she is. And then, in turn, they can purr to let her know where they are. So it's like, purring is literally cat the cat like, ah, I am feeling as secure as I did when I was a newborn baby with my mother. Oh my god. <laughs> <sighs> so yeah, sorry. sorry that was my overly long defense of cat. But that ties into what I was saying. It's like, yes, it's not... It's not just being a human in a little furry suit. They have basically their own body language, their whole way of communicating. But mm -hmm. there are indeed emotional preferences, emotional attachments, pair bonding they express. Mm -hmm. And indeed mm -hmm. can and will express that with the humans. 
the humans. Yeah, the humans. Um, and not to mention, that's not even getting into, like, separate personalities any given dog or cat may have as a result, which right. oh, then yeah. makes it even more complex than whatever anybody thinks. Yeah. Yes. I mean, their entire TV show is based around yes. this, because, I mean, I remember slow, reading... <laughs> no, I remember reading people were really upset about the name of the show My Cat from Hell, <laughs> saying cats aren't hellish, and it's like, if you watch the show, these people are pretty much in that state, because half of them, they had one cat, and that one cat was a perfect cat, it was loving and charming and all of that stuff, and then that cat obviously passes away, some time passes, and then they get a new cat, and they think the new cat's going to be just like the old cat, but the new cat is the new cat, and therefore has a different personality, and different signals, and they have to learn all of those things. So, yeah. Oh, like... And the same thing happens with dogs. Yeah. My current cat, Baxter, actually, he is not big on cuddling too much. He Mm -hmm. vastly prefers to show affection to people via playing with them. And that's just how he is, but he's still very affectionate and actually very sociable. He just has kind of a lower tolerance to where he's overstimulated by actually being cuddled and pet, and then he wants his own space. Right, and that's perfectly fine. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, our neighbor's cat, Neo, that we mm-hmm. babysit all the time, is an absolute cuddle slut and wants to be basically <laughs> draped around somebody's shoulders like a majestic shaw at every opportunity. <laughs> what kind of cat is he? Uh, it's an it's an American long hair. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> he looks like he looks kind of like just a bigger version of Baxter with fluffier hair. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. Uh, the long-haired. I'm oh. yeah, mildly allergic so that would not be great for me, but yeah. I do like uh, I do like the big puppy. Yeah. Long-haired cats. Uh, I I will definitely have a relax I have re- rea- reactions to long-haired cats. Yep. I'm yeah. usually okay with short-haired cats, uh, but long-haired cats I'm usually fine do... with cats are there, but poor Neo Neo has just so much fur that even I feel sneezy around him. <laughs> really? Yeah. Okay, because I have a friend who has a Maine Coon, and I had such a bad reaction the last time I stayed at her place that I kind of swiped some some um, medicine from their cabinet because I was like, I can't deal with this. I need something. <laughs> so I went snooping when I really shouldn't have, but I was okay. Well, now <laughs> I was okay. Now you've confessed it on a podcast. So. Yes, now I've confessed it on a podcast. This was a couple of years ago. She doesn't even live in that house anymore. So Avi's it's fine. She's, out there. She's getting Avi. in a car uh-huh. right now. I have to tell you something. I'm what? a cop, and this entire podcast has been a sting operation. Oh, has it now? <laughs> we got her, Ing, finally. We got her, move! It took, move. It took ten episodes. Swat! Had to- you have to shot! Oh, no, I, I took some allergy medicine from somebody. Yeah. Dear Lord. Yes. <laughs> Probably the worst part about that night is I'm having reactions to her cat, and I find the allergy medicine, and I take it, and then I go back to go to sleep, and then the cat is right there next to where I sleep. (laughs) He's like, hello. Hello, friend. I'm going to sit here. (laughs) I had to to house sit for some friends once, and I just, I had a, I had the, uh, well, I wasn't house sitting, I was staying at their house, but I had an air mattress on the floor that I was sleeping on, and they had a cat running Mm -hmm. across me all night, basically. (laughs) It was a little hard to sleep with a cat running up and down my back all night. 
which normally yeah. I would be fine with. Well, I wouldn't be fine with running up and down, but if you just pick a spot and lie there, it would have been great. Oh, God, But yeah. they're nocturnal, of course. That's, yeah. Yeah, that's also one of Baxter's favorite ways to be affectionate with people is that he will go out of his way to jump on them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they like, like to... to dogs. I know that. That's how they can. They. That's how they. Sh- they. They. They prefer to jump up on people and put their paws on people to like. There, was, I saw an article about that the other day where they don't like being hugged very much. Uh, uh, like we like to hug yeah, the that, dogs. Yeah, that that article was a bit misleading. There, basically, there are ways of hugging that dogs actually don't like, mm-hmm. or do not mm. naturally like. Some dogs will like it. Because they, again, just personality that they, at, that they get that this is human saying he loves me and I like that. Mm-hmm. But in general, it's like dogs being restrained and from mm-hmm. above, that is uncomfortable for them. However, being like, sort of like a one hand hug to the side so that they can lean up and press against you. Dogs like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. And again, it's in so general. not the it's full the embrace. But like a half one. Yes. Yeah. It depends on okay. the dog's personality. And it, and it also right. is the thing of towering over them. Right. Is a like okay. thing. So you get on their level with a half one. Or they, yeah. get, they like to jump up onto your level, basically. Yeah. Or, you yeah. know, let the do- Because some dogs very much do hug. Like, mm-hmm. it's actually one of the behaviors that is um, identifiable and synonymous with the boxer breed. So, right. just let the dog initiate it. Like, y- mm-hmm. you've seen Gobi will do that. He will actually get up and hug people with his four paws. <laughs> Aww. <laughs> he's a boxer, is he? Uh, no, he's a shih tzu. I, I realize that's confusing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's not a boxer. <laughs> he is, he's You're not a leading boxer. leading us about your dog, who someday... <laughs> We will have on the podcast. Well, we've already kind of had him on the podcast. Yeah, he's been on the damn podcast. Yes, yes. He makes a guest appearance every so often. We usually cut it out, but yeah, just trust us. Anyway, um, we should we should probably wrap it up. I think we're getting uh, yeah. I'm sorry, I monopolized so much of it talking about hamidals, but it it was very interesting. But it was it was people. People like animals, people like, so it's fine. People like animals, uh, unlike well, what certain some people would have you believe. And um, indeed, they, you know, it was interesting. You know what you're, you actually know what you're talking about. So it was a welcome change of pace from my thing. Um, so <laughs> anyway, so uh, so on that note, we're as I say, we're heading out. So uh, have a good night, everyone. Uh, keep your big dick energy uh, pumped up as high as possible. Uh, pat a dog uh, if you see one and remember don't go chasing waterfalls or by waterfalls I mean clickbait have a good night and we'll see you all in the funny pages take care Bye. bye bye